It's more fun winging it. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Befriending Spectrum owners. Atari's newest arcade cabinet. And Flash, I love you. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello guys, another week, another show, and there are five of us squeezed into this week's show because I've got a couple of special guests. I have Lee from More Fun Making It and his son Thomas with us, and uh, they're going to tell us all about why they're here in a little while. Uh, But before we get to that, because we're going to dedicate the whole, I'm going to dedicate the whole first story to what they're doing here, so we'll we'll hear all, all from them shortly. Before we get to that, what have you guys been up to this week? Chris, you go first. Me? Well, actually, the stuff I was going to share is relevant to the story you're covering, Dave, so I'll save well, it to then. So over to you. Okay. I have Dave, been you, you've incredibly been scrubbing busy. I have. I've been scrubbing and, and sanding. I wanted that the best keyboard you can get for a Mega STE is the Mega ST keyboard, so I got one of those. It came in. It was an absolute shambles of a keyboard, so I have been repairing it. I've been sanding down the metal to get rid of the rust. So you can see this here. So the next job is to um, to desolder all of those switches and replace them with Cherry MX Brown switches. Meanwhile, the keycaps are outside in the Scottish lovely weather. It's, uh, of course, cloudy and will rain later on, despite the forecast, in the hope that they retrobite. And when that's done, I should have a lovely restored keyboard. I'm lucky that there was nothing wrong with the keyboard electrically it was all physical but it was absolutely filthy i've also nearly finished my amiga i'm waiting on lee smith not not the lee it's on just now the other lee because there's two lees um lee smith is making me an adapter plate for the power supply so i can use a tfx in an sfx place and i also need an ide buffer for the amigas because connecting the cd-rom drive just kills it uh, the IDE cable is as too I, long. As I keep s- saying to Dave, you won't use the CD-ROM drive on your Amiga. You won't use it, but he's, he's determined to have a CD-ROM drive and make it work. Um, and I must say also, Dave, watching you do all of this over the last couple of days, and I'm sure Lee will relate, it makes me incredibly jealous watching you just do a restoration and not have to film it. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> having a lovely time doing this, aren't you? I've been spitting photos out on Daniil so he can see it. On the other hand, though, it's taken over my house. My house is an absolute midden at the moment. Uh, midden's a good Scottish word for you. My house is a mess at the moment. And uh, <laughs> it, it is starting to stress me out. I can't wait to get to reclaim the space and tidy up because I've also got the floppy Tower of Power on the go. That's kind of stalled while these other two things are going. I've got some soldering to do. I order some some PCBs and I made a mistake in the order and I got a 2.2 kilo ohm resistor in two places rather than a 22 ohm which of course if it's on the usb line nothing happens the usb signal just gets effectively blocked it's like cutting the trace almost so once that's well um i'm really looking forward to handing the mic over to lee to tell you all about why he's here let's just have a, a quick bit of housekeeping from you dave Not much this week. Lots of response to the Atari story from last week. Um, lots of lots of comments. Some people are 
a bit sceptical about how it work out. Other people are really enthusiastic. I think I'm still enthusiastic, but my, my expectations are not unreasonable. I'm not expecting perfection. It'll still be good. Um, I also like to welcome our new patron, Shane. So he says, hello, all greetings from Brisbane, Australia. Is Brisbane near you, Chris? Oh, yes, just down the road. Yeah, literally just 3,000 kilometres away. Yeah. 3,000 kilometres, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. It's, love the show. It makes my Sunday mornings with coffee all the better. You can pop down and see him then. Say thanks. Yeah, I might pop over after this. Yeah, see what he's doing for dinner. I do. If you would like to join Shane, then www.patreon.com slash thisweekinretro. And that'll, that'll do. So if you're watching the video version of the podcast, we've magically shuffled around here. Lee is taking center stage in the mic. Uh, Lee, why don't you just tell us why you're here today? Uh, I'm here today to promote the charity drive that I'm doing at the moment. Um, I uh, Something happened a little while ago. Um, Lee, the other Lee Smith, uh, he donated a case, a rather special case called a ZX Spectrum that he designed, a mechanical keyboard ZX Spectrum. And... Um, I thought that was too much for him to give to me. So I decided that uh, we were going to charity auction this. And uh, it's kind of grown from there. Um, and the charity um, that we want to support is called the Befriending Scheme, which is something that Thomas um, actually, this is my son, Thomas. Um, Hiya! <laughs> that uh, Thomas uh, benefits from. And it's something that um, <laughs> supports adults uh, in helping them maintain relationships. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've seen the Metro. The, the, the Metrum itself is mm. a three. It's a really well three D printed case that takes mechanical key switches. And uh, is it a forty eight k Metrum board, or does it take more than that? Just a forty eight. It can take um, anything that will fit in a forty eight k um, normal rubber key case or a plus case will fit into the Metrum case. <clears throat> but I've actually put something a bit more special in than a 48k. What have you um, put in? This one's a Harlequin 128k from Ooh. Bike Delight. Uh, the, so the Harlequin. Superstar. Yeah. The Harlequin, if, I, if I'm right, the Harlequin is a, is a modern-ish, I mean, it, it's been around for a while, I think, modern-ish remake yeah. of the Spectrum that you, it uses loads of logic chips to replicate the ULA. Am I talking yeah, exactly. nonsense? So the, um, the, the standard Spectrum... Um, has uh, its ULA. It's that's the heart of the um, of the machine that that ties everything together. Um, the um, Chris Edwards wrote a book where he reverse engineered the uh, the ULA, and then uh, Don Superfo uh, actually put that into practice and designed the um, the the Harlequin um, and lots of iterations of it as well. Um, and this is uh, I think this is an issue. Well, I've actually done two of them. Um, so there's not just going to be this one spectrum. There's actually currently five. Um, <laughs> there, I've, I've brought some with me. Some are in these lovely cases behind us. Um, yeah. uh, the, uh, so we've got two Harlequins of different revisions and a, a an old original spectrum, another old original spectrum, and an original spectrum that I built from scratch. Um, but yeah, going back to the Harlequin, um, yeah, the, uh, the ULA was, um, was the, like, as I say, the beating heart of the spectrum and it, they replaced it with off the shelf 74 series logic chips so that, uh, anyone could 
put this together without having to resort to stripping a ULA out of a, an original spectrum. So yeah, it's, it's really a quite a clever thing. It's, it's a hell of a build because if you have a look at the, um, the Harlequin motherboard, the, the, the amount of chips on there is frankly mm. ridiculous. They've, they've even had to um, save space by m putting some chips underneath other chips. What? So it's a, it's a lovely thing to build as well. It's a bit like when you see like a Street Fighter 2 bootleg board and it's just a city of chips covering the whole board. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, is, it is a bootleg spectrum, effectively. Yeah, pretty much, yeah, clone so spectrum. Well, the difficulty in replicating just about any microcomputer is the unique chips, the part of the chipset, the custom chips. And for the spectrum, that's the ULA. Um, so if if you can replicate that, then you can build a spectrum from scratch without having to without having to use an existing spectrum or difficult to get new old stock parts. So it's um, it's really clever. Mm. The good the good thing now is that there are actually modern replacements for the ULA, um, the VLA eighty two and the Nebula. I've actually used a VLA eighty two in the new build spectrum that I've made, um, and every single chip in there bar one is brand new uh, and the one that isn't brand new is new old stock so i'm calling it new but so uh, yeah the, um, the the vla82 is actually um uh, i think uh, a bit of a crowd favorite at the moment the nebula is was my favorite but it's so difficult to buy them because of obvious reasons hmm. So Lee and Thomas are here today to make an episode with me in the cave about, um, now I was expecting three machines, but it's gone beyond the I've original brought, three. I've brought three with me. Three, yeah. So we're going to take a, a good look at these builds. Sorry, um, four. Four with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's five though. <laughs> we're going to take a look at them all. We're going to make a video about it. And then at the end of it, Lee's intention is to auction off these machines, isn't it? Yeah. So um, on the 16th of September... Um, I'm going to do a 12-hour live stream on my main channel. At your age? At my age, yeah. I've, I've had a few comments about <laughs> how are you going to... 32. <laughs> 32, yeah. He's, my he's, birthday, he's not my age. time. Um, and yeah, so there's going to be a 12-hour live stream. I've got, um, I've got all the auctions ending throughout those 12 hours or will have all the auctions ending throughout those 12 hours. And um, I, I've got some special guests to keep me going um, during the day. Um, there's some guy called Neil who's coming on. Um, <laughs> Neil here. He's actually not the headliner though. Um, <laughs> I've not actually, the headliner. I've, ha I've had to upstage him with um, with someone else. But you'll have to come and see if you want to see the guest list. Um, but yeah, I'm, um, yeah. <laughs> Dave is Dave. Yeah. Neil is actually Dave's bluffer. So um, <laughs> um, I love it. So, yeah. so where do we where do we go to to sign up for that? Uh, that well, there's there's a couple of places you can go. So the um, the just giving page is probably the the best place to go. I'm not here to promote myself. I'm here to promote the charity. Um, uh, the just giving page is uh, just giving uh, slash more. Um, more Duncan, fun making it. Help us out, Duncan. <laughs> it is just just giving more fun making it. If you if you search for those, um, I'm sure someone will put some uh, links in the uh, in the show note in the um, description. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and the uh, I will I'm going to plug my channel a little bit because that's where the live stream is going to be. So I'm uh, on YouTube at More Fun Making It there as well. So tell us about the befriending scheme then. What's that? Right, so it's a, that's an amazing thing. This is something we've, um, like, um, you know, I've, I've been Thomas, Thomas's parent since he was born, and um, we've been. That's through, how it works. Um, yeah. 
I love it. Um, and um, we've we've seen lots of services that are good for people, you know, with Thomas's needs um, in our area, come and go. And um, just recently, Thomas is after the pandemic happened and we were looking for something new for Thomas to do. We uh, stumbled across um, the befriending scheme and they for Thomas, uh, the, the thing that he accesses, accesses is the um, the community farm. Um, and what's it called, your farm? Red Rose Red County Rose, Farm. Red Rose County Farm or community farm. Red Rose County Farm that's in Lindsay. In Lindsay. Yeah. And um, that's a fantastic place. It's just it's truly magical. Brilliant. I go there and, and uh, it's, it's just a, a, a fantastic place for someone with um, additional needs to go to that can do things they wouldn't normally be able to access. Um, hmm. And they've, they've got some amazing facilities there. They've got lots of animals that they can um, interact with and look after and care for. Um, they do all sorts of um, other farming things and woodwork and um, yeah. cooking and, yeah. and all sorts of things. No ZX Spectrum is there? Uh, not yet. No, no, yeah. Yeah. No. After this, there might be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what, what do you, what's your favourite thing to do at the farm? Um, goats. You, you feed mm. the goats, don't you? Yeah, big goats. What what now? What the big goats? What not the pygmy goats? What are the big goats' names? Doughboy, Rodney, Percy, and Pedro. There we go. <laughs> Doughboy, Rodney, Percy, and Pedro. Nice. <laughs> um, but that's not the only thing they do. They uh, they run hubs in our local area where yeah. um, people can meet up and socialise, basically, but supported with um, volunteers and. Um, some of the things that you see those guys do is just is great. They have um, who's the man who does the music? Keith. No, Will. Will. Will is a musician, and uh, he comes and um, and they have musical sessions and things like that. It's it's just a Absolutely. it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, sounds like a great place. Mm. So. Um, if you want to support the charity or if you just want to be really selfish and get yourself an incredible ZX Spectrum, <laughs> regardless, Lee is the man to follow uh, and all the links will be in the show notes. Lee's put out videos for all of the Spectrums that he's doing. They've all got a, yeah, a, a certain theme to them. Nice. Um, so have a look at Very interesting. Whether you're pl planning and putting a bin or not, it's very interesting. But that'll be a week from the day you're watching that. That, that stream will be a week from today. And hopefully Neil's video with, with obviously Neil's video with Lee will come out before it, I'd imagine. Afterwards, mm -hmm. not much point. Um, <laughs> just one thing to add. If you can't afford to... Oh, but there will be some other um items that are going up for auction it won't just be the spectrums um i've got uh, a one-of-a-kind more fun making it mug i'm gonna see if i can steal a um an rmc mug as well and, yeah yeah, and yeah we'll put that up for auction we'll sort that out. um and uh yeah there'll be a couple of other bits and pieces uh, in the auctions but if you can't afford to um win a brand new bespoke spectrum in a posh flight case then um just you know and you still want to uh contribute then Donate on the Just Giving page, and uh, no matter how much you give, it, we've had some huge contributions, and we've had some small ones. They all push us towards the target, so it's it's great. So if, if you could do that, it'd be really appreciated. We are proudly sponsored by Pixel Addict Magazine. Are Pixels the last thing you think of at night before you go to bed? Are you shaking for Pixels the first thing in the morning when you wake up? Well, then Pixel Addict Magazine is the publication for you. Dave, are you a pixel addict? You seem to be shaking from the shoulders there. <laughs> I start every morning with a bowl of pixels. Uh, the last thing I do before I brush my teeth is is wolf down some pixels at night. Can't yeah. sleep without I'm, them. 
what happens if you go without pixels for a few days? Um, I, I, I start to turn into a bit vectory and um, stretched out. <laughs> nice. Voxel man myself. Voxels. <laughs> 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 Well, if you can relate to our stories, then uh, Pixel Addict magazine is the magazine for you to uh, to, to help you get your fix. Um, Chris, what's the uh, most recent story that you've read in Pixel Addict magazine? And why is the light changing on your face as if you're quickly visiting a website? Is it? Oh, no. Sorry, I was actually quickly visiting. You're not visiting pixeladdict.media, are you? No, I wasn't. Yes, I was definitely visiting pixeladdict.media. Dave's turned into a pixel on our screen as well, which is quite interesting. Um, And yes, my favorite story is the one that I looked at last week when you asked me this question, and I happened to cross a story about Acorns and BBC Micros. And as I haven't picked up the magazine since last week, that will have to be the story. The man that's going to save us from this hole we've dug is Lee. Lee, tell us about Pixel Addict magazine. Um, Pixel Addict magazine is um, is an amazing thing because uh, it it brings nostalgia into a format that is truly nostalgic. Um, the internet for me back then in the eighties and nineties was magazines, and uh, bringing that into a modern day is, I think, uh, just a glorious thing to do, and it's a lovely, lovely magazine. Far too professional for this show. Same. Far too professional. <laughs> the problem is that now enough of our guests have seen how we've thrown previous guests under the bus. <laughs> yeah, that was all scripted. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, if you uh, like pixels and magazines, then uh, head to pixel.addict.media and we thank them for supporting the show. Should we have an Atari story every week, lads? What do you think? Every week? Well, uh, I will no. jump in here because there was an interesting link last week between the two stories that we did, the MIDI Atari 2600, the 80% sized mm-hmm. Atari, and the Dark Forces Remaster. Now, the Dark Forces Remaster is by Night Dive Studios, and uh, more than one of our vigilant listeners pointed out that Atari acquired Night Dive in May of this year. So technically, it was an all-Atari show last week. Oh, As it should be. As it should yeah. be. This week's... Uh, story on Atari is submitted by Pajaco. It is Atari's 50th year, and throughout it, they've been coming out with various different things to celebrate it and get your cash into their trouser pockets. The biggest thing is probably the 50th compilation they released for various systems, and despite ignoring the Atari ST, it did seem to go down well. But the latest is a tie-in with Arcade 1UP to make an Atari 50th branded arcade cab. Now, it's not a full-size cab. Um, like all the 1UPs, it's a compromise because our homes struggle to take a full-size cab. Uh, so it's a, it's a flat screen, of course, no CRT, which means it can get closer to the wall. It means it's a lot smaller. Um, it's just not practical for them to sell them with CRT, so I can understand why they don't. But being the 50th, guess how many games it has? 64, of course. Um, there are <laughs> there are 50 2600 games, Atari 2600 console games, and there are 14 arcade games. So straight away, it's a little bit unusual and inventive for them to put 2600 games on it. But also, only 14 arcade games. Of, I mean, of all the arcade companies, Atari are giants, um, and they're all early games. 
and one of them was never released. I, at least two of them are kind of sequels. So if, if I was to list my favourite Atari games, well, they wouldn't be on this cab. Uh, what is on the cab, though, is Asteroids Deluxe, Asteroids Centipede, Crystal Castles, Gravitar, Liberator, Lunar Lander, Major Havoc, Millipede, Missile Command, Space Duel, Super Breakout, Tempest, Tempest and Aka-R, which is the one that wasn't released. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Aka-R. Um, I like the name, though. Question, um, Dave, my first question is, you are reading those out. Is there a spinner on it for games like Breakout? Um, there is. There's, tr- there's, there's a trackball, sorry, for... Uh, there's a trackball for... Missile Command. Yeah. And um, and a so you've at least got an analog input for the breakout, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of good games there, but there's no Star Wars, there's no Gauntlet, there's no Super Sprint, no Paperboy, 720, Marvel Madness, Battlezone, Clax, Primal Rage, Road Blasters, Rampart. There's loads of games I'd want. And it, it, well, it does have some big names. It feels quite limited and quite... It, it feels as if it's centred in around a, a certain type of Atari game. Now, we've talked about quite a lot we've talked about the idea of a one-up versus a full-size cabinet so we won't go there again today but what i wanted to ask you guys is how you feel about playing console or micro games in an arcade cabinet i ask because it's the fourth thing i can think of i've come across recently that talks about this we've had um the nintendo and sega arcade cabs that neil has acquired fairly recently uh, for playing NES, and is it Master System or is it Mega Drive? Master System, isn't it? Uh, Mega Drive. So I've got the Nintendo Play Choice 10, which is NES, and the Sega Megatech, which is Mega Drive. Yeah. Got you. We've got the 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 TFMSX Jammer board. Now, Stephen Leary was recently on your channel talking about the making that, and it, he made it for a bit of fun, um, and he made a Jammer board for it as well, and he says he's been loads of loads of interest in it so this is people who want to put an mf an msx into an arcade cabinet and of course when the mister came out there was lots of lots of chat and when the mms came out the multi-system as well came out lots of chat about a jammer harness for it again so that people can put these into the arcade cabinets there's clearly clearly a a desire to put these into arcade cabinets so my question for you neil first of all is what's your favorite atari arcade games what games come to mind when you think about Atari in the arcades? And what do you think about playing console and micro games in an arcade cab? I mean, we could talk for the rest of the show about this. There's some quite meaty topics you're, you're throwing at me there, Dave. Um, starting with the arcades, Atari have been around for so long, you know, making arcades since before they even called themselves Atari. I think it was Syzygy, wasn't it, before Atari? Um, so their arcades span you know all the eras the bronze age of black and white and ttl logic arcade games the golden age through to around 1984 spanning from space invaders past pac-man and beyond uh, and into the 90s when they had games like the rush series of 3d racers some of them based on 3dfx uh, voodoo hardware as well which is something i was playing with last week um you'll see that in my next video um but the first games i think of the games that really stand out for me personally when we talk about atari well, the ones that were all on the same holiday site. It was Butlins in Minehead. We used to visit quite frequently. And uh, I, I associate that whole experience of joy and excitement and being on holiday with those arcade cabinets. Um, I even associate the smell of chlorine with Indiana Jones because that's where the arcade <laughs> cabinet was by the, by the water park. Um, and those games are Paperboy, 
Gauntlet, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and 720 Degrees. Those cabinets were all there. And there were other fantastic non-Atari ones, like Outrun was there, Dragon's Lair was there. So, you know, I've got really fond memories of this place. Now, these particular games all come from the same period, the mid-80s. So Indiana Jones uses Atari's System 1 board. Paperboy and 720 used their later System 2 board. And Gauntlet was very similar to System 1, but I think it was a single board instead of multiple boards. So all kind of similar hardware, all putting out very different kinds of games. The main difference with the System 2 games is that they ran at a higher resolution. So they used a medium resolution monitor. And if you've ever played Paperboy or 720 in the arcades, you'll have noticed that they they look sharper. Um, it's It's an interesting look. It really makes them stand out when they're next to low resolution arcade games. So they also had unique cabinets which made them really special. 720 had the great big boom box on top of the cabinet. Uh, Gauntlet was huge to fit four players around. Paperboy had the handlebars. Um, I struggled with the handlebars, but it had the handlebars. I've never got on with arcade games with handlebars. Like Enduro Racer is another one. Never got on. Hang on. What about Hang on? You th- hang on. You no, took I full hang on, hang on under the bus. And feel right hang on. It's very sensitive. I find it really sensitive to play, especially the sit-on hang-on. Mm. Really hard to play. Yeah. Um, so I love everything about how unique each of these cabinets is and their, their special builds. And we have got Atari arcades down in the um, in the arcade archive here. We've got Gauntlet, we've got Star Wars, we've got Missile Command and Tempest. But my nostalgia sits with those other ones. So I'm always sort of pushing Alex, get a Paperboy, Alex, get a Paperboy. I'd really love to see that in there. Now, your second question was about playing console and micro games in an arcade, I think you were talking about. So um, I would just remind you that back in the day when we read our magazines, do you remember that there used to be adverts for flat-packed furniture designed to look like an arcade cabinet? Lee's nodding his head. No? Chris, do you remember these? No. Uh, They were definitely in there. I'll see if I can find a picture for Duncan. I'll take a word for it, but yeah. Um, So... uh, you could buy a piece of furniture that had the shelves on in which to put your Mega Drive or your NES or whatever and recreate the look of an arcade in your bedroom. And I'm go- I was going to say we all wanted it, but you obviously never saw it. But when I saw it, I wanted it. You know, you wanted an arcade in your bedroom. And mm. this was perhaps the closest thing you could get if you wanted to play Toe Jam and Earl in an arcade cabinet. Um, so I, I have no problem with that. And whenever I've built a main arcade cabinet in the past, going back to... Uh, decades since I last built my first uh, my first MAME cabinet, it was um, one of the highlights was being able to pop up consoles. I had sections for each system, uh, and it was fun to be able to play Mega Drive games or even Amiga games, a game of Speedball Two in an arcade cabinet. You know, there was nothing wrong with that. So I, I don't have any snobbery about playing those kinds of things. But I do agree with you; it's a bit of an odd list in this arcade one up. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, which really justifies playing home computer games in, a, in an arcade cabinet. We recently picked up Archer McLean's um, incomplete drop zone arcade cabinet. So Archer McLean made drop zone on the home micros. There was never an arcade version of it, but he was at home making a, a cabinet for it. Dave? Okay. <laughs> it, it, it is it is very much an arcade game, though, drop zone. It's, it's, oh, it's, yeah. I mean, you, you wouldn't want to be playing Populous with a trackball in an arcade cabinet. But Drop Zone, of course, you would. Well, there, there was a, that unreleased version of Lemmings with a trackable for an arcade cabinet. Why did it not get released? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our intention with this Drop Zone cabinet is to complete the build, put a menu in it, and allow you to pick which home version of Drop Zone you want to play. 
And I think that would be a really nice thing. So I would be hugely hypocritical if I were to say you shouldn't play home console or micro games in a cabinet. Um, just very briefly on this arcade one-up Atari 50 cabinet itself, it's your bog standard arcade one-up cabinet with stickers mm -hmm. all over it. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no uniqueness to the shape of it. It's not made to look like any particular Atari cabinet. It's just stickers. Um, and that, you know, I'm not knocking, as we always say, if arcade one-up machines suit you and suit your environment, there is nothing wrong with them. But if you're pushing this as a, a celebration of 50 years of Atari, I would have liked something a bit more Atari to it. You know, I just feel a wider shape. range. It just it feels like they've zoned in in one one kind of aspect to their their games, and they've missed out that this they could put a much wider range of games. And then even if they only had, even if they only had fourteen games in there, they could have picked fourteen games that that spread out a little bit more than that. I probably don't want to take away anything from the uh, the other cabs that they've done though. So um, they've already done a Star Wars cab, haven't they? So mm, yeah. they, they can't really put that on there. Plus, Star Wars, how are you going to put the yoke on there? Uh, mm. Some of the other ones are, are going to be a bit more tricky. So I'm, I'm not surprised at the, uh, at the list that they've got here. I was a bit surprised to see the, the console games on there. Um, but there's the ones that they have put on there, I'm, I'm actually quite pleased about. So it, it, they, they fit well with the, contro the control scheme. Lee, what about putting arcade machines... Uh putting consoles in arcade machines in general i know you've built arcade machines how do you feel about it is that a good way to play them yeah i've done this i've, I've built lots of um i've built lots of bar top arcade machines so even smaller than one ups efforts um and i'll pre uh, preface this by saying i'm not the target market i do appreciate what they're doing and and i love the fact that they're driving lots of interest to retro enthusiasts in, in, into the hobby um it's it's great but um yeah arcade controls don't play well for me there are some odd ones that work okay and probably better but the whole thing with uh with going back and experiencing a game on a certain system in my opinion is is a feel thing i want to, i want the whole experience and playing mm. uh, a snes game with a stick and a couple of buttons is not going to work for me fair enough i think that's reasonable would it have been better, do you think, as this is supposed to be 50 years of Atari, just to release that classic yellow and black bezeled yes. Pong? Just, <laughs> just, just put out a new, a new mm. cabinet of Pong, or would that not be good for their sales? They could have styled it as Pong, and then had the games that suited the format as best as possible. Things like yeah. Indiana Jones, for example, there's no reason at all why that couldn't be in that cabinet. There's lots of games um, they could put in there that would suit. I mean, things like Zybots would need the twisty bit at the top, 720 wouldn't work. Lots of things wouldn't work, like Star Wars and so on. But there's lots of games that, that could work. But yeah, they should have styled it as Pong, perhaps. On Indiana Jones itself, there may well be licensing issues there. So there, there could be things like that stopping them That's from... True re-release yeah. Indiana Jones yeah. again. Um, but yeah, they could have put out exactly the same thing, like you say, with, with a Pong bezel, just a be rather than stickers. That would have made me happier. I would have liked that. Christopher, tell us what you think. <laughs> well, we're on Atari again, aren't we? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the playing of the console games first, actually. I'll, I'll go the other way around. Um, and funnily enough, it was actually um, Australian Father's Day just this weekend just passed, so I forced my boys to play me 
at some flashback games. Um, so Atari 2600 games on the flashback, and they punished me for it by beating me at every single game that I chose, including things like Combat, Frog Pond, and what was the other one? Um, Crackpot. Yeah, so yeah, I couldn't beat them. So then we, we canned that and played a board game, and they beat me at that as well. Um, but well, what they did get me was why I mentioned um, Father's Day is that my gift from from uh, one of them was the Atari 50 collection, which I've been waiting for for ages. And that's very relevant to your story here, Dave, because the, the arcade games that you've listed are the same arcade ports that they've slapped on this compilation, the Atari 50. Wow. They're pretty much the exact same. And no, sorry, they are. I'm pretty sure, 100%, because I've been playing most of them yesterday, the exact same games. So obviously they've already got successful modern ports for them, so I guess it makes sense. Mm as to why they've chosen these same few. But it is a shame that they haven't sort of gone outside of that. Um, I've no need for this cab because I'm surrounded by 2600s and I've and I've got this. So, you know, I've got the uh, Atari 50 collection. So I don't really see a need for this. But saying that, when you look at the pictures, you know, it does have a trackable. And uh, is this the first arcade one-up cab with a trackball? I think I'm right in saying that. I can't think of another one. I'm not that familiar with the the range to say. I know you've got the yeah. outrun one with the steering wheel. You've got the yeah. yoke. I don't um, think they've done one with a trackball before. And, you know, when you talk about games like Missile Command, they're, they're great to play. And on a PC, you can play it with a mouse, and that's almost as good. But to get the real experience, you need the trackable. So that, that's fantastic. But then on the flip side of that, they haven't then included stuff like Marble Madness. So... You know, that could have also made use of the ball. So they've put it there, which is fantastic. And then they haven't added as many games as they possibly could that would make use of that control mechanism. So that's a bit weird. Let's face it, somebody is going to hack this. <laughs> so I'm sure they will. There must be a way of loading extra ROMs on these arcade one-ups. Some, somebody will do it. Yeah, somebody will do it. Uh, or if not hacking, just ripping it out and replacing the innards with, with a, a main... Yeah. Or something. Dave, were you just looking up the devices there? I just wanted to know if there was a, another arcade one up with a trackball in the past. I found um, lots of um, lots of talk about adding a trackball to one. Mm, so right. my, my assumption from that is that, I, that there isn't one. Um, yeah. So people are buying things like an OptiPack and wiring up a trackball. Um, yeah, Chris, uh, you were talking about Missile Command. When was the last time you used a real Missile Command cabinet? Can you remember? No, no, not no, at all. There's something quite <laughs> unique about it because it was yeah. so um, sort of early before trackballs were readily available for arcades. Mm. They used a, a ski ball, the small ball from a bowling alley. So it's actually a huge uh... trackball on a myself grand. It's got a lovely weight to it. It's very oh, hard right. to replicate with a home trackball. But there you go. And it's weird. I mean, talk about how important the control mechanism is to replicate the whole feeling. Even, I mean, it's great. Again, they've got the arcade port of that on the collection, which you can run on the PS4 here. So I, I thought, mm, surely they've allowed mouse support. So I plugged in a USB mouse to the PS4. No, no mouse support. It's the DualShock controller Ooh. or nothing. Just such a simple thing because then if it had supported a USB mouse, well, guess what? It would support a USB trackball. Like how hard is this? It's a, diff it's a different how thing hard is using, this? using a DualShock than it is a trackball. Yeah. There's no – Oh yeah, uh, they're, they're both analog, but the, the whole the – whole trackball is just a different a different tactile it's thing. It's tied into yeah. it, isn't it? You can't you – can't, you can't get that same feel by using a thumbstick. No, and that, no, and that goes not. to other types of games as well. You know, for for instance, Star Wars. So, um, yeah. you need the proper thing to play the game. Yeah, no, 
I've got As one. You know, yeah, he's bought yeah, a yoke. Yeah. Um, no, it's no yoke. I do, I do love. I do love that Lee's um, said, you know, I know I'm not the target audience for it, which is something we always say, but we always seem to cover the arcade one-up stories. <laughs> we're, not, we're not really the target very audience. Interesting. We're always going to talk it, about it. Yeah. They're I, interesting I what, what they're pitching at because they're pitching at the general general retro market. So, they're, yeah. They're, they're, mm. yeah, it's interesting to see what they think matters. I know yeah, someone, uh, actually, uh, there's a guy on Twitter called Paul Universal Retro Boss who um, I've had lots of dealings with on my channel. And uh, he's um, he's got an amazing cave of his own. Um, uh, and it, although he would like um, real arcade machines, he's settled for one-ups. Mm. Uh, so he's got an Outrun and a Star Wars. And when he gets them, because they're so small, he buys the packs that you can extend them. Yeah, the and, plinth. And, yeah, the plinth. But he also oh, yeah. gets, um, so, like for instance, the um, Outrun board. Of the outrun cabinet, he bought a, a board to go into it that gave, gives him loads more games, um, mm. plus some ah. cosmetic stuff as well to go around the the screen. Like a, there's a special bezel that goes around the screen on the arcade on the uh, Star Wars cabinet to, to make it give it that extra feel. Um, mm. Yeah, so there. Although I'm not the target audience, I know the target audience, mm. so I feel qualified to talk on this. The the biggest the big the biggest thing for me the biggest thing that that bothers me about the arcade one ups is the is the monitor the, I, I just wish it wasn't quite an in your face LCD monitor I just wish they'd done something to make you feel a little bit CRT about it but other than that I I think there are there are there are a reasonable compromise because the difference in space taken by an arcade machine not just the height and the the, the width of it but the distance it comes out from the wall is huge. Mm. The, um, on the on the subject of the screens, um, I had the pleasure. I, I visited Paul um, not long before I visited this cave, and I had a play on his uh, Star Wars cabinet, and then came uh, into the arcade archive and played on the real thing. And although the purist in me is saying, you know, it's a, a vector screen, you cannot be, and it is uh, the first time I, uh, after so many decades of not seeing the vector screen playing Star Wars and, and then walking into the cave on my first visit and into the arcade archive on my first visit there and seeing that in real life in the flesh again just sent shivers down my spine is there is no way you can replicate that on anything else, even on a CRT. It doesn't look the same. Um, but I have to say, playing um, Star Wars on his one-up machine, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> it was It was fine. It was good. Yeah, you don't need it to be perfect to be good. I, I've got, I've got um, an arcade. No, it's, it's not an arcade one-up yoke. But I've got a, a great big heavy replica of the yoke from Star Wars, and I've got it set up with a, a flat screen, a, a, a twenty-inch flat screen, a Dell one, a four-three, and it's good because there's no point putting a CRT there because it's still not going to be a vector. Uh, I think uh, you can do certain things in Mame to make the vector to make the, the effect of it to make it glow and so on it, it, it's quite good but it's not perfect but it, it's good enough to have fun the, what they've done with the uh, collection at least on the ps4 i assume it's the same on uh, the other systems as well including the pc with the vector games they've actually tried to at least to a point emulate what a vector screen looks like in terms of those really bright points of light in the corners followed by the dull you know lines so i think as they the emulation we've got sorted, and obviously that's not that hard for these older games to get running on modern equipment. So I think 
my hope is that as emulation evolves and, and becomes more mature, that that's where the concentration will be is, okay, now how do we do the trace of the ball in Pong so that, you know, it replicates the fade of a CRT and gives it that tail. And another one of the things they've done on the collection, I know it's not on these. In fact, they should have added these to this arcade cap. It would have been fantastic. They've done some modern reimaginings of some of the older games. Um, and that's exactly how those look. They're sort of this very sort of, you know, retro modern neon style that is quite in vogue. And and they've done things like replicate, you know, the, the tail on, on balls bouncing around and stuff like that. Um, they've done it over the top, so they're not trying to mimic a CRT or a vector screen, but they've they've added that sort of extra thing that you got accidentally from the old screens, which is which is fantastic. Um, now, now I've said they should have added those. What they should take off, I think, and this is just personal opinion, is the twenty six hundred games. To me, that doesn't make any sense on this arcade cabinet at all. <laughs> so. And and when you look at the other arcade one-up cabs, they don't have that many games, and they sell. So they didn't need to, you know, shovel a heap of twenty-six hundred carts on there. They they could have just stuck to replicating the arcade ports and doing those better. I think that would have been a, a nicer product. Possibly a tie-in with the uh, twenty-six hundred plus. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it could yeah. Be. yeah. When you think when you think back to what. Lee said about the the controls feeling wrong using a joystick instead of a pad. At least with this, the mm. twenty six hundred games were a joystick, so at least at least you've got that same control. At least so, That's yeah. Um, it costs you, and if you're in the United States of America, it costs you five hundred dollars. If you're in the UK, it costs you six hundred pounds, which is equivalent of seven hundred and fifty five dollars. That's fifty percent extra. Um, <laughs> It is in the Atari 50th design, so uh, the, 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 the DVD keep case that Chris is going to hold up again to the screen um, is is the kind of styling that you see on the, the arcade cabinet. I like it. It does look good. It looks like a nice-looking cab. But as Neil says, it's just stickers. They're stuck in their standard cab. But if it's for you, then you'll know about it. So there you go. Chris, I'm getting, like, Steve Jobs vibes from you today. <laughs> Steve Jobs vibes? What are you talking yeah, about? Look, oh, this. Uh, Steve Jobs sort of and grew sort of combined. Yeah, maybe the grew thing. I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not Steve Jobs. I can wear some glasses. Hang on. Now Steve Jobs can I There we go. There it he doesn't, is. Doesn't not quite work. Oh dear. Can we have right. viewers, can we have an answer in the comments of the YouTube comments? Does Chris look more like Despicable Me or more like Steve Jobs? <laughs> Despicable Steve. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, the Mac fans have left the chat. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, it would have been around 1998, around that period, I, I guess. I was working as an IT administrator for a family-run company of about 100 people. Um, and being the IT administrator, in their wisdom, when they bagged a contract to create some intranet content for a client, they gave it to the IT guy because, <laughs> you know... That was their thinking. Um, and, and I did it with the help of my manager, Jim, who was a really nice guy. Um, and between us, we had dabbled in HTML and web page creation. And when I say dabbled, I mean I'd used the editor in Netscape Navigator Gold Edition. And Jim... Gold. Gold. And Jim had used Microsoft Front Page. Um, 
fast forward through a few projects and it eventually took a client of ours to point out after they bothered to look at the code behind the scenes that perhaps front page was not the most professional approach um, and not up to the standard that they'd been expecting at least. I mean, the pages worked it fine and they, they looked good. Um, but we began to investigate better ways of doing things. As soon as we were actually charging for these services, it was probably a good like idea. Notepad, notepad perhaps? <laughs> no, not wouldn't go that far, Neil. <laughs> wouldn't go that Hot dog pro. <laughs> Let me tell you some stories of when we went to a recruiting some web developers later on. That was quite amusing yeah. when I actually asked them to write some HTML from scratch. Hmm. Not many people could. Uh, but anyway, um, in on, our investigation... You, you've suddenly very quickly gone from the guy who uses front page to, oh, I'm an expert, prove yourself. But I did. That's exactly what happened. That was but the before that, was it, of your career? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, the knowledge that we had to employ better people—that's what led to the recruitment drive. But anyway, before we got to that phase, what we ended up doing was we ended up going to a showcase, a Macromedia showcase in London, and they began to show us the delights of Dreamweaver, which looked fantastic. And yes, Dreamweaver was owned by Macromedia before the entire suite was purchased by Adobe, if not the entire company. I think that's how it transpired. Can't remember. Anyway, um, and then they showcased a web page made entirely in Flash. Now, to put things in perspective, you know, this is the first Flash thing we'd ever, ever seen. It wasn't one of the things that was out there on the web at the time. And this was in the days of dial-up. So your content had to be streamlined. It had to be the smallest file size as possible. I wish some people stuck to that, by the way. Um, uh, and, and despite our less than professional original approach, we had at least become, you know, masters at things like image compression and choosing the correct image format, for the type of picture that you needed to embed, stuff like that. Um, animated GIFs, which were all over the place in the personal web space world, Jeff. were were Jeff. frowned upon. Frowned Jeff. upon GIF. Jeff. Frowned upon GIF. Jeff. Graphical Jeff. GIF. Um, were Jeff. frowned upon in the professional world, and rightly so. Um, but we were actually already working with video compression and how we could make video work online um, just because of the nature of the clients that we were dealing with and how to make things more interesting and interactive and exciting. So, Chris, are you, are you, are you telling me it wasn't professional to have an animated skeleton's finger pointing to the next page? <laughs> um, no, you that's fine. With it under that's construction. Fine. Yeah, I was about to say that's fine as long as the next page is an under construction banner. <laughs> yeah, with a flashing yeah, workman light. Yeah, absolutely. A web ring at the bottom. So back to this Macromedia conference, right? Yes. Room, room full of about 250 people. Shut up, Dave. All looking at a large projection screen and this web page, this fantastic looking web page full of color instantly loads and 250 color. jaws dropped. Color, yeah, color. Um, the, the page was full of vibrant colors. There was a drum and bass music loop pumping through the auditorium, and these 3D animated sprites flew in as the page built. It didn't just appear; it kind of built, and um, the, they the sprites rotated enticingly, and they reacted when you most moused over them or when you clicked on them. And the pages, instead of just jumping to the next page, literally transitioned through animation. The whole thing was absolutely stunning. The person running the demo then did the unspeakable. He resized the browser and nothing broke. Everything scaled perfectly and the entire page stayed intact. What we were seeing basically from our understanding was the impossible in terms of what you could do on the internet. The music was turned down and we were told by the person running it, the MC, 
this entire page is only 25K in size. So 25K, sometimes it was a struggle to get a single image down to that size if it was photographic with lots of colors. So long story short, we went straight back to Kent, had a meeting with the MD of our company and purchased the entire suite. And what ensued was one of the most um, exciting um, and interesting points in my career, at least. We're right at that cusp of, you know, early internet creation and making it um, sing and dance. Uh, between us and the design studio, we made some fantastic intranet and CD-ROM content for our clients, uh, most of which were in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and much of it was flash, even if it was just for navigation elements or intros or scalable title bars, that kind of thing. So I've got very, very fond memories of flash from a development perspective. Um, but for most people, it was just a format that silly games were delivered in, um, either, you know, that arrived in emails in the form of EXE files, probably with a virus, um, or as part of web pages. And of now, uh, and now, of course, you know, given Flash is dead and gone, uh, deemed bad from an accessibility point of view, which actually it was, <laughs> and also potentially a security risk at worst. Um, and of course, Apple's refusal to support the format in the original iPhone and all iPhones and iPads since that day, um, you know, that really didn't help it either. Um, but the question has been raised, are Flash games retro? This question was posted by C3R7X along with a link to the Flash Museum, a web page where you can revisit the Flash games and animations of the past, flashmuseum.org. So, guys... That URL. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did go to the Flash Museum, and it okay. was fine. Yes, and it wasn't even anything to do with cheesy AT sci-fi movies either. Um, so, guys, did you guys flash? Is it retro? And do you have fond flashing or flash game memories, Dave? I did play the old Flash game. Uh, I think we all did. I mean, you'd be lying if you said you didn't. Everyone did. So the first thing I went for on this site was Yeti Sports which is the, the the one of these silly games with the penguins and yetis where you're trying to get something to go a certain distance. There's a bit of luck involved in it as well. And I was surprised to see there wasn't just one yeti sports game. There were turned out to be about 10 of them. I only remember playing the one. I could only get a couple to work. And then I did a Google search and found that the games are available in loads of places. And they use this thing called Ruffle. And Ruffle is a... It's like a virtual machine for, it's like an emulator for Flash things. So it'll, you'll see the Ruffle thing coming up and then it'll have the Flash game. So I thought Flash was killed off. I thought Flash had been been killed off on the internet and you wouldn't see it anymore. And all that's happened is all these sites just use Ruffle to load it in. So all the all the old sites that, that, that I remember doing them are still there. Things like Congregate and so on. And in fact, some of the games on this Flash museum and came up with an error message saying the version of this game is URL locked. You can only play it at congregate.com. So I'm not really sure what the museum is. It seems to have just lifted content from other Flash sites and said, this is a museum now. Here's our content now. Um, I'm not sure if they're retro. I, I, I started off thinking, no, they're not. And then the more I thought about them, the more I realized, hang on, they maybe are. This is Windows XP machines. This is early Windows XP machines. It's the around the year 2000. Um, yeah, maybe they are retro. Certainly, there's a gap between me playing them back then and now. Uh, I didn't play these games for 20 years. Dave, when when you're sort of doing the, the weighing this up in your head and trying to figure out if it's retro or not, is it 
but clearly the amount of time that's passed would make it fall into the retro category. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain amount of snobbery towards the technology that's making you that sort of consider it to be less than a real game? I hope not. I hope not, because that wouldn't be fair of me to do that. Um, I, I think that there's a big enough gap. I mean, I, I stopped doing these, and now I'm coming back to it. So that, to me, makes it feel like retro, the more I think about it. Um, I did play Learn to Fly 2, just have a look at it to find out why it was popular. I played it all the way through. <laughs> played it completely all the way through. I sat there for about an hour and I completed the game. It was a nice game, and it made me. It reminded me what the, the these flash games, in some cases, were all about. They were nice, soft games where you can't lose and you always make progress. It's just a question of trying again until you work out gathering more money and making your way through it. It was. It was quite pleasant. Quite a contrast to the games of the the eighties, which went out there to punish you. Um. But yeah, so the, these these games, they, they probably are retro. I think it's only fair to say they are retro. They feel that way anyway. Uh, and certainly when you look at the old animations, all the Weeble stuff and Badger, 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 all those kind of things, they, that, that's retro, definitely retro. So there you go. Uh, as to the museum being a museum, though, I'm not really sure what's going on there, whether it's legal. Um, it's, uh, we have ROM sites and all the rest of it, and they're, in my mind, fine, because that's the way you have to play the old, these old games. But when they've lifted from sites that are still there making money from advertising and just said, it's on our museum now, I'm not so sure about it now. Uh, Thomas was delighted with you saying badger. I think, did you just say mashed potato? Mashed potato. Mashed potato. Nice. A Bodger and Badger fan. Big favorite. (laughs) Badger, 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 Mushroom, Mushroom. (laughs) You're not going to be able to stop him now. (laughs) Welcome to Stroud. Welcome to Stroud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lee, Lee, what about yourself? Yeah. Did did I flash? Um, <laughs> you went. I, I, um, I'm not going to go. You've got to ruffle before you can flash. No, you don't. Know, that with someone else. Um, no, uh, not knowingly. Um, back then, I was, I was, uh, I'm old, so um, I was seriously into adulthood at the time, and I was getting down with my PlayStation and uh, moving into the PC world, and I saw. Flash games as a kind of throwaway childish thing um, because they weren't anything with depth. Um, mm. that, that was my perception at the time. Um, but since then, uh, I well, since then I haven't played any of them. But uh, when this story came up and I and I thought, oh, I better have a look at uh, what was it? What was it all about? I uh, I googled unscientifically the greatest flash games of all time and something just popped up at the top of the the list saying line rider line rider uh so i i found a playable version of that and then i lost about two hours of my life um just uh making lines with some little stick figure that slides down a line (laughs) and it it was glorious (laughs) and now i feel like i've missed out um but yeah the uh, the thing that struck me was uh as interesting about this because you touched on uh, Chris, you touched on the fact that Steve Jobs killed Flash mm. uh, in the, uh, dead in the water. Um, it feels like Flash back then was kind of an ecosystem for mobile games, but without being mobile. And yeah. now yeah. the the, uh, the modern day equivalent of that would be the App Store. So yeah. uh, I think um, Mr. Jobs had an agenda. Hundred percent, 
Hundred percent, and I I was very vocal at the time. Everybody was saying, "Oh, it's not an accessible format," and blah blah blah, and and it all came out of everybody was fine with Flash until the iPhone didn't support it, and early Android phones did support it, and then sadly they they soon followed suit, um, and it was all down to that. Hundred well, no, I, I assume possibly without any proof behind what I'm saying because it's only my opinion, but of course if they're going to come up with these ecosystems where you have to purchase apps or have advertising revenue or whatever and they can control that you don't want access to this plethora of existing content because why would anybody click on your app store i spent most of my time actually um trying to kill flash myself because um Hmm. i i I looked after everybody's computers in in my social circle and uh in and some business circles as well Hmm. and um yeah the flash caused us lots of problems so yeah Yeah. i couldn't i couldn't wait to get rid of it (laughs) but (laughs) see um, the the thing that I um, that I used instead of Flash was Java. Um, yeah, uh, Java was uh, a similar thing for me, and I can remember uh, having a, a Nokia N ninety five. It was one of the first kind of smartphones where it was connected to the internet, and you mm. could download kind of apps, but they were Java apps, and uh, and yeah. I, I had um, it was like a stunt cycle game um on that and i would play that today it was so good um but yeah that was that was my i i if them if flash had been around for that i probably would have jumped on board but it just wasn't Hmm. yeah um you probably know the answer to this better than i do chris but um i get the impression that the the beauty of of flash or part of the beauty of it was the authoring tools because it seems like it was possible to rapidly develop, you know, come up with an idea for a game mechanic like Line Rider uh, and very quickly turn it out. And people have a huge amount of fun, not because it's a AAA game with all singing and dancing 3D graphics, just because you've come up with a cool idea. Hmm. Um, yeah. From a web development perspective, it was all GUI driven. So you could code in it and you could do amazing things if you were a good coder. I never was that good at that. And the great thing, it's like using Premiere. You, you use, you know, keyframes, timelines uh, and trigger points. And that's how you develop in Flash. And that made it so accessible for people with the imagination rather than the coding skills. It was yeah. really cool. And what we also saw, because it was so adaptable, and yes, it was useful in the dial-up internet days, but we also saw a huge amount of it, for example, um, a way to read a manual on a CD-ROM when you got a game, or you know, a behind-the-scenes look at the making of the game. I think like Mist had something like that as well, um, where you could see the making of the game and it would pop up in Flash, all running off of the CD-ROM rather than having to go off to a web page. So it had its uses beyond just being on the internet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, my own personal memories, though, I'm afraid having said that, were silly games and animations. Dave, Dave mentioned Weeble and um, Magical Trevor and things like that. Um, Quop. So uh, Lee was talking about adulthood and how he saw them kind of as childish games. Um, but actually, when you were then, if you were in a job where you were in an office and you had a mundane job and you, just, <laughs> you wanted to procrastinate, Flash was where it was at, Dave. Is this in between hitting things with shoes? <laughs> this was actually there when I was hitting things with shoes. So there's a video floating around of me uh, when I've still got hair uh, hitting a computer with a shoe in an office. <laughs> That's what Dave's <laughs> referring to there. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, Quop was the game that took hours of my life and, and turned into a bit of an office competition. So if you haven't played Quop, you've got a ragdoll on a running track 
QWONP are the keys that you're playing with. Each key is assigned to a limb. So you're sort of making this ragdoll lift their limbs and uh, you've got to do it in the right order. Otherwise, they just sort of collapse in, in on themselves on the running track. And you've got to see how far you can run. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very difficult and incredibly addictive. And I think he followed it up with, um, oh, what was it called now? I can't remember, Good or some, something like that, which was a climbing game where, you know, each key was assigned to your foot or your hand, which was also What's that modern addictive. game that it's a, an Xbox and PlayStation game where you can control each limb of a character with uh, a different part of the, um, <laughs> of a, a joypad. So the Actually, shoulder I think that's what part. I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah I can't, think of what I it's can't remember the name of it. Um, yeah. But you, it's a fighting game where you, you all have to knock each other off of platforms and things. But that yeah. sounds... Similar kind of mechanic. And and that's it. You know, somebody knocks up a mechanic very quickly on Flash. And then, you know, a good mechanic will stick around for decades um, just because it's fun to play on. It's like uh, I always see Kickstart being recycled over and over again. Just the side-scrolling motorcycle game with, with, uh, you know, jumps and a little bit of physics thrown in. That's been done for decades and decades because the mechanic of the game is fun. yeah, and the only other thing I'd say about Flash was for a long time, it was just there. It, it then became part of the furniture. It became, you know, that was just the internet for, for certain websites. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a sad day when it went away because things did need to progress a little bit more and HTML5 was a good thing. But it was, as you say, its, it's demise was accelerated by Mr. Jobs. I've just realized that it's ideal for smartphones because it all scales to the resolution you want. You don't have to do anything anything fancy to get that to do, so it would have been ideal for them. And right enough, it vanished just as smartphones came on the scene. I never thought about that before, but yeah, Steve Jobs sent out the assassins. Oh, he certainly did, yeah. Funnily enough, it was that whole scaling thing that led us into some very bad habits, which is why it was deemed as not accessible for a, a plethora of reasons, but it was quite a done thing to rasterize your text just so you could keep the the design style of your site, which is a big no-no if you know anything about accessibility. You'd never, ever do that um, because it means it's not selectable. Therefore, it's not readable by adaptive technologies and assistive technologies. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. For me, Flash is definitely retro, but um, as a development tool, as a platform, it, it, it was it was so cutting edge when it came out. Um, and it's a product of the late 90s, so just by the passing of time, it's it's retro um and it it changed it's so important i don't think people realize how important it was in terms of changing the expectations of what could be done for online content and how engaging it could have been we would have been stuck with pages of text with the odd you know animated gif in the corner um while it's dead it does live on and you you touched on it there neil in terms of html5 content you know pretty much everything you could do in flash um you can do in html5 and in fact as the the death knell was ringing, what they did was add an HTML5 export function to the Flash development suite um, to sort of try and bridge the gap there. Um, but from the Flash Museum, I can't say anything actually jumped out at me as something I remember from back then. Uh, but there are some amazing examples of what Flash was capable of, so it is worth a look. Fancy Pants Adventures uh, is is the one I found myself spending time on. It's a wonderfully animated stick figure platformer with a really well-done hand-drawn aesthetic. Um, it's well worth a look. Do keep in mind that 
S is jump. It took me ages. I couldn't find instructions and I couldn't figure out what jump is. So there you go. I saved you the time and all the keyboard mashing. S is jump. Other than that, you'll figure it out. Um, really good fun game. I miss Flash and I continue uh, to play with it when I moved to Australia. In fact, I had this crazy idea that promotional games, so this was early 2000s, promotional games or even games with advertising sponsors would be the future. Crazy talk. That would never happen. Um, and the last Flash project I actually put my hands to was over here. It was around 2010, uh, as late as that. And it was uh, some work I did for a college um, for help, helping students figure out their, their learning styles. That was, that was quite good fun. But anyway, to round this up, to quote the movie then, Flash, I love you. We only have 14 hours to save the Earth. YouTube um, started on Flash. Oh, yes, you're right. Oh, mm. how did I miss that? Yeah, absolutely. Because they, they, they did a, a video embed player for it, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do owe Flash a lot. There you go. So, Flash, we love you, uh, but we only have 14 hours to save the Earth. Save the Earth, said with enthusiasm, Dave. <laughs> time now for our community question of the week so we'll go with last week's question when we spoke about level one gaming and asked which game has your favorite level one and why is it cleverly designed to make you feel like you've mastered the controls or does it look so pretty and sound so awesome that you instantly fell for its technical wizardry that's all about those level one games uh dave have we ended contest mode on our subreddit moments ago i've just hit the button moments ago wow news just in so uh if you want to participate in our question of the week of course you go to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro and the top answer i have is from lord borak 316 i don't believe i've seen that name on the subreddit before so thank you for joining us and, and contributing um he says syndicate has to be my favorite level one the instant cyberpunk atmosphere of the game is right there in level one the music was also great on the amiga it has the right level of difficulty for your team of agents with no mods armed with pistols and maybe a shotgun chasing down the target before he escaped it helped set the stage for the rest of the game and learning the interface also returning to the level later on with fully um fully modded teams and 20 gorse guns and seeing if you could eviscerate the target by destroying the whole area and massive explosions was a lot of fun and now i'll shut up um yeah syndicate a game with um well not a steep learning curve because it eased you into it with each level and level one was where it started how do you select your characters how do you move them individually as a team change the weapons you know set their way waypoints and all, and all of that stuff so it makes a huge difference for a complex game like that to be enjoyable um, and not overwhelming from the start so i think that's a great answer who wants to read the next one lee yeah. wants to read it oh, yeah. lee. oh it's his own answer <laughs> it's um it's me and i said you are in a comfortable tunnel-like hall to the east there is a round green door you see the wooden chest gandalf Gandalf is carrying a curious map. Thorin? <laughs> Gandalf gives the curious map to you. Uh, the rest is a blur in my memory, but that first screen is etched into my memory. Probably a good idea to shut up now. <laughs> and Dave is holding up a copy of The Hobbit. Um, is it Thorin that keeps singing? Is yes. that that one? Yes. 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 Sits down uh, and things, singing about gold. It, it, that, that's such a good game. I don't know how well it's aged if you didn't play it back in the day. Not I well. don't know if it's accessible for people, but if you've got the nostalgia for it, it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, we used to. I used to um, go around to my friend Jason's house, uh, Jason and Marcus's house, and um, 
and we would crowd around their ZX Spectrum on the floor and um, work, you know, would be mapping out the locations. And, and recently, you know, as you do with your nostalgia itch, I went back to scratch it. Uh, and yeah, that's, that scab came off and it wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't, I think I got to the bit with the trolls and the crack. Um, I, you read into that what you will. This, um, this takes us back to the imagination gap and, uh, yeah. <laughs> perhaps our imaginations as an adult function differently than our imagination. Oh, we're much did more lazy kids. now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did, we did cover the Hobbit on here quite a while ago now but it, it it was a ground a real groundbreaking game because there was independent npcs in it doing their own thing they were going about and doing stuff gandalf would get into fights uh thorin would go about and uh, yeah it was great absolutely amazing game i'll do number three happy yep. coding zx since the guy spoke at Length about Star Wars games, I'll say the first two levels of Shadows of the Empire on the N64, Battle of Hoth, was truly spectacular. It got everything right, great looking, and the sound effects and music really added to the atmosphere and made you feel like you were taking part in the battle. Bringing down the walkers with the tow cables was the icing on the cake. Shame the rest of the game was a bit of a letdown. Yep. Any Star Wars game is a good game. Yeah. yeah, and there was also that uh, period of, <laughs> nice. of getting past Rebel Assault, which was very much an FMV game, and then to actually play texture-mapped 3D Star Wars games was a real nice thing, really novel. felt more like you were in the movie. Um, we've got some other great answers in there. Uh, Tasted and Murder made me laugh, talking about Rise of the Robots and talking <laughs> about how the second level is basically to use the game as a coaster or try and sell the game to some <laughs> other sucker. Um, <laughs> Alien Isolation says, uh, I am Amiga, the tension um, of it all and the eeriness. Um, now this is a good answer. It, um, it's tomorrow now mentions driver and, um, you had to do like a driving test before you could play the game proper. And it was notoriously difficult. I hated that. <laughs> <bit of the laughs> game. So, um, he obviously enjoyed it and I guess you did feel like you'd, um, got good at the game to, to actually get past that. So there was a feeling of a, achievement. He was only six. <laughs> I think I was 20. <laughs> Richard Shears talks about uh, Grizor on the Amstrad CPC um, and how just how great it looked coming out of a CPC. Uh, Super Mario Brothers from Chizer. Derek, hello, Derek Booth. Rick Dangerous. The first level <laughs> takes time and patience, which it certainly does. And um, lots, lots of, wow, yeah, lots of other great answers on that. There's a lot of answers on this week's question of the week. So thank you to everyone for taking part. Um, as always, you can also submit stories for us to talk about. Uh, and sometimes, sometimes those stories prompt the question of the week by heading to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. I have got a question of the week down here, but you guys are going to have to help me out here because I, I was going to go with what are your favorite Flash games. But I've got a feeling we've asked that question before on the show. I oh, feel like we that. don't remember. Uh, Not while I've been on board, I don't think. John. Um, Maybe. So do we have any advance on favourite Flash games? Lee's live stream next week is themed around friendship, and he wants to know from you, what are your stories about friendships and video games? Hmm. Perfect. And you've done that so well, Dave. I don't think we need Duncan to edit that. They can, they can just hear it straight from you. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. That's Tell us good. your stories of video games and friendship at our subreddit. Um, all the links to follow Lee, just, just to follow his channel in, in general, youtube.com forward slash at 
more fun making more it. fun making it so go and give them a subscription and also um can you can you when you've got have you got a live stream scheduled can you click the notification to I remind will you we'll be doing that soon yes so, there will be a live stream live stream scheduled soon great and we'll try and get as many be, people watching as possible will Dave? it be by saturday by the time this releases will you have the schedule yes. out by then yes let's see it yeah there's a, let me it's do it in the show notes great yeah. so we'll get that in the show so, notes and um oh, yeah go on youtube don't let you stream for 12 hours Okay. So there's actually going to be two uh, live streams. There'll be a small break in between. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, I'll um, be on it. Neil will be on it and I'll be on it. I'll be on it. Um, Chris. Chris sorry, didn't get invited. Oh, sorry. <laughs> not made the cut. I'm not invited. <laughs> I filled up well, my 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, some of, that, some of that will be in my, you know, the time when I'm awake. Yeah. So uh, I'll try and join on. Absolutely. Chris yeah, will be good. watching it and uh, we'll see yeah. you all in the live chat there as well. As always, thank you very much for taking the time to watch. And you'll see more of Lee and Thomas in my video next week. And you can get to see all those wonderful thank ZX you. Spectrums that will be going up for auction. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>community subreddit at r slash this week in retro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show if you watch this week in retro on youtube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers if you enjoy our show and would like to support it then please check out the link to our patreon page in the show notes or description thank you for listening and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech